I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 15. Where last week we began to look at verse 1 and the obligation of the, the strong or the uh, mature or maturing and growing believer. The obligation of that believer was to uh, be the first one to bear the failings of the weak. To make sure they bear the burdens of others. That's the obligation of a strong and growing Christian is to bear the burden. To pursue that first, to sacrifice for the sake of others. Here this morning, we're going to carry on verse 1, look at 2 and 3 as well, to another obligation of the strong, growing Christian. Let me read for us verses 1 through 7 for the context. Let's hear what God's Word says. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. May he bless his holy word to our hearts. So there in verse 1 you see, we who are strong have an obligation We have an obligation, first, to bear the failings of the weak, and, secondly, to not please ourselves. Verse 2 and 3 carry on the concept is, let let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So here this concept of, Uh, One being pleased is shown three times in these verses. Firstly, you're not to please yourself. But where are you supposed to please? Please another person, your neighbor. The reason is Christ didn't please himself, first and foremost. So it gives us what to do, what not to do, and why to do it. Christ. Christ is our motivation. He is our example for why we're to do this. It says that our obligation in verse 1 is to not please ourselves. Philippians 2 verse 3 echoes this, says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility uh, might regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Or in uh, Judges uh, 21 25, Do you remember the problem that Israel faced then? It's well known. This is how the book of Judges finishes. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. That wasn't the problem. The problem was everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Every person lived for himself. Every person put me first. And therefore, you have a society and a world that looks exactly like ours. Me-centered world. How sad is it? 
How sad is it when you see the me-centered world, and maybe even when you feel that in yourself? When you see a person in need and you choose to abide by your schedule instead and say, well, I got places to go, I got things to do, so I don't have time for this person in need. I don't have time for the person who's got a flat tire. I don't have time for the homeless guy. I don't have time to help somebody move. I, I got things to do. When we see people in need, we, do we trigger our self-centeredness? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, not only um, in terms of morality, thinking what you think is right versus what others may say, but also just what feels right to you, what pleases you, what is all about you. That was the problem in Israel at the time, uh, that they had no king. So the question then for us is, uh, here, when there's this command not to please ourselves, does that pierce your heart? Are you prone to selfishness? Another, question, another way to ask that is, are you human? <laughs> are you prone to selfishness? Same question, are you human? We are all prone to selfishness in some ways. Some are extremely selfish, and it's just commonly known. Others, we have a, an inner selfishness, maybe, that others might not see on the outside. Do you look inward more than outward for others? Must you always have your way? Now, when it commands us not to please ourselves, does it mean that we're not to regard ourselves at all? That we're not to think about things we may like or enjoy or be convicted of? Because if you think about the context of Romans chapter 14 leading into this discussion was two different people with two different opinions and here it's to say, don't please yourself. Don't pick your opinion. Don't pick your conviction or your choice. Don't do that. So does this mean that we always have to take the back seat, that we can never concern ourselves uh, for what we might want or we might desire or we might even think is the good and right way to go? Well, what we're to do is to never do anything that pleases us regardless of how it affects other people. So when we are pursuing even what pleases us or what we think is right or what we want to do, we always should have others in mind. Because if we solely think about pleasing ourselves in isolation, then we are in the wrong. Then we are in a me-centered world, not a Christ-centered world. And so we're never to do what pleases us, not thinking about others it may affect. Our family, our church family, our friends, our neighbors. Think about how it affects them the choices you're going to make. We here, obviously, in the context also is to consider the weaker brother, the, the one who is maybe less mature, and notice that they take precedence over what we ourselves would like to do. The, the, the weaker, the less mature takes precedence. Their faith is more important than your preference. Their walk with Christ and their conviction and their, their conscience is more important than your opinion or your decision. So they take precedence because if you follow after the law of Christ, that is the law of love. And love is not self-seeking. Love seeks the good of others. And so if that's what we are commanded to do when Jesus was asked, you know, if you're to wrap up all the greatest commandments, the best way we're going to please God, what are we supposed to do? He gave it twofold. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's interesting that love your neighbor as yourself. You think, okay, well, what if I uh, self-loathe? Or what if I don't, quote-unquote, love myself? Or I have to love myself first in order to love my neighbor? 
the, the concept there is love yourself as much, sorry, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself and think about yourself. You would never harm yourself on purpose. You, you would never uh, shame yourself on purpose. You would never uh, do anything of such account. And so don't do that towards your neighbor. But instead, you would love to be exalted. You would love to feel great about yourself. You would love to have a great time, a great thing. And so do that for your neighbor. Love them. Pursue their good. Love them. And so we have to think about others and them taking precedence over what we ourselves would like to do. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, when it talks about our freedom, because that's also the, the discussion here in Romans 14 and 15, is, is the freedom. I have the freedom to choose to do this, to choose to do that. In terms of, uh, for Romans 14, it was, uh, there was the group of those who said, we have the freedom to eat. We have the freedom to eat bacon and pork and not feel convicted of it. We have the freedom to eat whatever. Hoofed animal, non-hoofed animal, it doesn't matter. We have the freedom to eat it. And so there was others who did not feel that freedom. They, didn't, they still were wrapped up maybe in the tight law and thought, if I do that, I'm going to displease God. Well, here we have freedom to make a decision. This Christian freedom, Paul says, I, I believe that there is freedom. He said in 1414, he says, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself. And so Paul is convinced that food is not unclean in and of itself. And so he's saying, we have freedom to choose, brothers and sisters. And some things like that, obviously we don't have freedom to choose what is sin or not sin. The Bible's black and white on that. It's clear on that. But we do have freedom to choose some things when it comes to choices of diet. Whether you think it's honoring to God to be a vegetarian or whether you think it's honoring to God to eat a steak every day. That's your opinion. That's your position. We have those freedoms. And so in Galatians 5.13 where he says, You are called to freedom. You're free from the bondage of sin. You're free from the bondage of the law, which, which tells you God won't love you if you don't do this thing. You're free from that and realize that God loves you because of Christ. So you're free. There's no more chains on you. Don't hold yourself back to the laws or the guilt trips or anything. Because if you are free in Christ, you are free indeed. And so in Galatians 5, he says, you are called to freedom, brothers. He says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So don't use that freedom. Don't use your freedom, your ability to choose and do as you please to serve yourself. Don't use it as an opportunity to serve your own desires. It, says, it carries on and it says, but through love, serve one another. Now you have the freedom. You're not bogged down by guilt and by um, just so busy trying to keep the law for yourself that you now have the freedom of heart, the freedom of expression, the freedom of genuine love experienced. Now genuine love passed on through love, serve one another. That's what your freedom is for. So we not, verse 1 says, we have the obligation not to please ourselves. Don't put yourself first. Don't think about your pleasure, your desires, your rightness first. Don't do that. Do not please ourselves first. But verse 2 says, points us in the right direction. Okay, well, we're not supposed to look at ourselves first. Where are we supposed to look? Verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. At the outset, we must acknowledge that what this does not mean. This does not mean that we are to be people pleasers. 
It seems kind of contradictory because it says, let each of us please his neighbor. So how do we reconcile that with the fact that we are not supposed to be people pleasers? People pleasers are those who bend over backwards to make sure everyone's happy so that people like them. So that people like them. Ultimately, if we live as a people pleaser, it's more about what we hope they're pleased with in us. We, we hope they're pleased with our loving them, serving them, and making sure that they're happy, that they're going to be pleased with us. That's, the, that's what's wrong with people pleasing is it still has you in the equation. People pleasing is not simply other people pleasing. It's you pleasing. People pleasers are actually self-pleasers. They do it in order to feel affirmed, to feel welcomed, to not feel rejected. People pleasers go out of their way to do all this other stuff to make people happy so that they can still be painted in a good light. Galatians 1.10 says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be a servant of Christ. If we seek to please men uh, and with the, the heart of well, I want them to view me good, well, I, I want them to talk highly of me, I don't want them to think that I'm a bad person. If we're pleasing men for that goal, then we're not serving Christ. We're not serving Christ. But yet, when Galatians 5 talked about using our freedom, it says, through love, serve one another. It, it talks about putting people first. Make sure that they are pleased, but not necessarily pleased with you. Who are they pleased with? They should be pleased of the one we serve, Christ. If we seek to please people, we really have to know the motivation of our heart. Are you serving them so that you can serve Christ? And then are you happy to serve people and bend over backwards for people, even if you had no recognition, no thanks, and no one knew who you were? Would you still do as much as you do if it was anonymous? Because if that's the case, if you're anonymously bending over backwards to make sure people are, are satisfied, to make sure people are fulfilled, to make sure people are taken care of, then you might have a complex about maybe you are a workspace or something, but you're not necessarily a people pleaser if you're willing to be anonymous all the time. It's really about the motivation. Do you want to be seen? Do you want to be liked? Do you want to be accepted and noticed? Do you want to pat on the back? Why do you serve other people, really, is at the heart of verse 2 here. Let us please his neighbor. It's something we are supposed to do. But it's not for our good. It's for their good, and maybe even only. We see a difference here in the verse. If a person uh, is receiving the good as the neighbor, and there's no real consideration to the cost or the injury to yourself. If you don't consider what it's going to cost you, if you don't consider what it might do to you, your reputation, the neighbor pleaser we see here will never necessarily be thanked or recognized by their neighbor. But they do it because it honors Christ and it's for their neighbor's good. 1 Corinthians 10.33 says, Even as I please all men in all things. Paul's amazing. He says, I please men in all ways, in all, like I, I do whatever I can to make sure that they are pleased and satisfied, but not seeking my own profit. I don't want to seek just my own benefit. 
when I'm trying to seek to please people. It says, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So even if it meant a great cost and injury to himself, even if it meant his reputation was tanked, even if it meant people spat on him instead, he went out of his way to make sure that all men were pleased so that they would not have any hindrance or stumbling block to the road of salvation to Christ. That was his motivation to please his neighbor. And so when he, we're told here not to look to ourselves, but to think about others first and to think about them being pleased, them being um, helped, it's not for our own profit, but it's for their good. The words here in this verse are really important. So let each of us, so each of us, it's an individual responsibility as much as it's a corporate and church responsibility to, to um, minister to our neighborhood and to our neighbors. It is an individual. Each of us has his neighbor. You have a neighbor that I don't have. You have family that are your neighbors that aren't my neighbors. And you have people who live next door to you who are your neighbors and not my neighbors. Right? And so you have a neighbor that is not my responsibility when it comes to their good and their uh, learning and leading towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Each of us has a responsibility to his own neighbor. Let each of us please his neighbor. Please them. Pursue their happiness and contentment. But where? Does it just mean buy them nice things? Cut their lawn all the time for just so their house looks better than yours? Well, why? What's the goal of pleasing them? What's the goal? Ultimately, it's joy. And we know that we want their joy because their joy ultimately is to be found in Christ. That's the first priority for all of our neighbors, to please our neighbors. And think about your neighbors. Think about your family. Are you pursuing their pleasure in Christ? Are you making sure that what you're doing, the conversations you're having, are, are pointing them and directing them towards the true joy that they can have? And here's the hard part, is when you have neighbors, be it family or or neighbors next door who refuse Christ and who are rebellious against Christ and who come up against Christ and hate the idea of you talking about Jesus to them, how in the world are you supposed to please them for their good when you know their good is the joy in Christ alone? But that's where the responsibility is on you to know your neighbor, not on someone else to know your neighbor. It's, it's hard, too, because you think about your family, and oftentimes, you know, you maybe have pursued them, you have loved them, you've shared with them, you've exampled for them a thousand times who Christ is. And they, they're, they're deaf to you. They're deaf to your testimony. And so you pray for another neighbor, someone nearby, a family member, another a friend of theirs, a situation, a circumstance. You're praying for a neighbor. Like, because sure, in one in 1,000 chances, a stranger might show up into their life for five minutes and, and the word of God might come alive. But if, if you want someone who really trusts in and, and can last in, a, in an abiding faith, you want them to know the person who's preaching it to them. And, and it's hard because when it's your own family, sometimes you think they're deaf to me. So you pray for another neighbor. You pray for another neighbor to step in, someone who's close in the circle that they also trust, someone that they can see that this is not just a checkbox for another person who's out there doing a tour, that they're not just happy to get their name on their list. Like you want someone they know who can trust them. And so you pray for a neighbor for their ultimate joy 
in Christ. And then you think about your, your community, where you live, the, the neighbors to your left and to your right and behind you and, and in front of you. Think about those neighbors and the reach that you have to them. The, obviously, the example you can set is a good neighbor being a good neighbor. But more than that, how do you pray for your neighbors? Are, are you doing what you can do to pursue their good? Are you praying for them on a daily basis? And obviously about their salvation, about their, their entrapment to sin or to um, slavery of any sort. But then also are you praying with them? Are you asking them how you may pray for their family? Uh, it is very rare occasion in our country still that if you ask someone if you can pray for them. Obviously if they're thinking you're going to pray separately, they're normally okay with it. Um, or even if you ask someone, is there something I can pray for you about? They may have never been asked that before. Think about your neighbors you know. People in your community, in the surrounding block, do you think there's anyone out there in the last five years who's not been asked, how can I pray for you specifically? I bet you there is. And how special would that be for someone in their own neighborhood to come and ask them, I, I want to pray for you on, on Friday, and I want to know how I can pray for you. You know, tell me something. That is pursuing their good, and they're going to begin to see that. They're going to begin to feel that and know that, even if they're uncomfortable with the situation, it's not... The worst thing in the world. And again, oftentimes why we don't do that is because we're trying to please ourselves. We, we want to still feel good about ourselves. We don't want our neighbors to look badly on us or think we're awkward or weird. And so in, in a pursuit of self-pleasure, we don't ask our neighbors how we can pray. Right? And so here the text is telling us, put you aside, put them first. Think about your family, your community, your church. This country we live in. Are we pursuing our neighbors for their good? Are we pleasing them? Are we pursuing their contentment and joy ultimately in the Lord Jesus Christ? But what joy has a person in Jesus if they're miserable in every other way? Or if you make them miserable as a neighbor? Sure, you might tell them about Jesus, but then you let your dog poop on their yard. It's useless. You have to think about all the practicalities of are these people miserable and are you contributing to their misery? Because that's also being a good neighbor. It's all the practical things. Yes, you want them to know Jesus, but are you causing any stumbling blocks in any way? Pursue their good. P please them. Do what you can to make sure that they are a, a genuinely happy person in this world so that the, the, the more the, the blinders are off, the more the doom and the gloom is gone, they can see the beauty and the glory of the Lord in the world, in your life, in their own life. A person who is just down and out, who is miserable, has a really hard time seeing the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God. And so is there any way that you can remove some misery from them? You know, because sometimes that seems, that seems like a less spiritual thing to do, like to pursue their earthly happiness or material happiness or material ease. That doesn't seem spiritual. But then you have to ask yourself, like, are those things hindrances? Are they blockades to seeing and hearing Christ? Think about your own life, the things that sometimes block you in your relationship from the Lord, right? Difficult circumstances maybe have hindered your prayer life lately or whatever. And you think, if someone could help out with that circumstance. So think about your neighbors that way. What can you help with in order to pursue their earthly good with, a, with an ultimate goal of eternal good? Can you in any way lead them to a place not just of eternal happiness and hope, and rest in joy in Jesus, but here, now, experienced joy in this world that God has made. 
freedom and happiness from their guilt or their weight. Now, can you do this to enjoy the things that God has made? Can you help your neighbors for their good? And that's the thing. Some could stop. People who are maybe prone to be people pleasers say, uh, let us please his neighbor. Stop there and say, okay, I'm going to bend over backwards to please my neighbor. But it carries on. It says it's for their good. And there's a, there's a stark warning here, right? Because what I think is good for you, you may not interpret as good, right? Well, oh, I thought it was good to trim that bush. It looked a little out of control. You're like, I loved that bush and it was supposed to grow, right? And so my version of good versus your version of good is really, um, it could be different. And so you have to be warned and careful to step back and make sure you know your boundaries in terms of what is good. But also it's, it's hard because you know what's good for everyone is to know and appreciate and worship the risen Christ. So you know that's good for them, but then be warned in how you handle that. Be warned in how you bring that to them. Are you shoving it down their throat? Are you bashing it over their heads? Are you making them more guilty? Are you making them more crushed by the law? And sometimes we might be prone to that because we know that this is for their good. If they would just swallow the pill, it's for their good. But how are you going to communicate to them that? How can you extend to them what is for their profit, for their good, for their help? We have to think about how Christ did it. Did Christ come and force everyone to follow him? No. Even in the crowds that he, that he helped and he, and he healed, did they all follow him? No. His disciples, did they all follow him? No. And so there's no uh, coercion, you know, no, no forcing people to, to take what's good for them. Just take it. Take Jesus. And then force it down their throats. It's not helpful. That's actually not for their good. It might be causing more of a hindrance and a stumbling block to people. Let each of us, it says, please his neighbor for his good to build him up. To build him up. The ultimate goal is to to build them up, to edify them, to, to lead them in a way of sanctification, to pursue holiness with them, to pursue growth in godliness with them. That's the goal. That's how we're supposed to please our neighbor for their good, is to build them up. Are we doing that? 1 Corinthians 14, 26, talking about the church together, says, What then, brothers, when you come together... Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. When a church comes together, exercises the gifts that God gave them, it's not for themselves. God gave you gifts for others. So when you use them, it's for the building up of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Build them up. Lead them in a way of holiness. Are you concerned about the growth and the holiness of another believer. You might be concerned about their holiness and that they're not holy, but are you concerned about their growth and their growth process? And are you helping them to grow? Are you helping them pursue growth? Are you walking alongside them in difficult seasons and say, let's come to God's word together. Let's pray together. I know it's been hard for you. Let me just pray for you. I'll pray with you. Are you building them up where they are weak, where they are frail? where they are burdened. Are you building them up? Because that's what's good for them. 
is to be built up into holiness, to be edified, to be encouraged, enlightened, equipped for life in Christ. You know what this involves? Personal sacrifice and self-denial. If you're to build someone else up, it means you have to do some work. You have to give up your own time, your own heart, your own efforts and energy for the sake of others. And we are selfish. And so we struggle to self-sacrifice, to self-deny. And here's the thing. Obviously, in this context of Romans 14 into 15, the, the, the idea of self-denial is really prevalent. It's this person who has an opinion, a conviction that they think is right. And it's saying here, prefer the other. Prefer someone else. So you are having to deny yourself what you think is, is the good and proper way. Like here, say example, if you thought that eating all meat was acceptable and you had a brother or sister in your, uh, in your presence who didn't, uh, you're to deny yourself the meat. The thing that is right and acceptable and okay and good and, and you could pursue it for the glory of God, you're to deny it for the sake of another's faith, for the sake of their edification and for their growth. Because if you pursue it, you might discourage them. You might shame them. You might break their conscience and, and make them guilty. And so you deny yourself what rights you have. Because we have a reason and example to deny ourselves. We have Christ. Look at verse uh, 3. Um, for Christ did not please himself. But as, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Instead, he took the weight on himself. He did not please himself. We hear so much today about your personal rights and how my rights were infringed upon and my rights this and I have the right to that and I have the right to that. The Christian way is to refuse your rights. You may have the right, but for the sake of others, set your rights aside. And we know that's the right way to go. We know that's proper because that's what Christ did. That's exactly what Christ. We give up all of our rights if, if we need to for the sake of someone here in Christ. We give up all of our rights and all of our freedoms so someone else might be built up and grown up in the faith or matured or brought closer to Jesus. We give up all rights we have. All rights. Yes, we have the right in Canada to freely gather and worship. Yes, we have the right to not have someone tell us what to insert into our bodies or wear on our faces. We have those rights. But are we willing to give up some rights for the sake of other people hearing the Lord so that they're not so distracted by you defending your rights? Because if all you're doing is defending your rights, and that's what you're known publicly for is defending your rights, you've not displayed Jesus who did not defend his rights at all. Jesus, in Philippians chapter 2, displays for us uh, exactly how he gave up his rights. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This was Jesus who did not consider his divinity, his power, his right to rule. He set it aside. He'd emptied himself. He said, for the sake of them, I've come to serve. 
Mark 10.45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave up all of his rights. He had, he had the king. He was the king of kings. He ruled the universe. And he came, lived as a homeless man who was ridiculed, mocked. And this is the God worthy of all glory and honor forever and ever. And he was mocked on a daily basis, even by his own family. He gave up all his rights so that we might be saved. It wasn't so that we could have rights or we could feel good about ourselves. No, it was for our ultimate good, for ultimate sanctification, his ultimate glory in the end. Here it tells us to not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up for, because since Christ did not please himself. We have him as our example and him as our reason. Him as our reason, not just an example to follow, but the reason why we please others instead of ourselves or maybe in place of ourselves. It's for Christ. Because if we are so self-concerned with my own rights and my own pleasure, that's not reflecting Jesus at all. It's not reflecting who he is. And so when we're telling people that, oh, I've been transformed by Jesus and, and I'm, a, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm an ambassador of Jesus, we're painting an awful picture of who Jesus is if all we do is defend our rights. And if all we do is please ourselves, we're not exampling Christ. And so we've made Christ not attractive, which is not who Christ is. Christ in all of his beauty and all of his glory is the most attractive Thing, most attractive person, most attractive friend and savior when our eyes have been opened to his glory. So let us then not cause any stumbling block or any hindrance in any way, but instead, as Christ did, since Christ did not please himself, we do not please ourselves. And instead, let us please our neighbor for their good, to build them up for his glory. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, you deserve uh, all of our adoration. And we know that we seek our own. We seek our own um, pleasure, our own ways, our own rights. We want to be um, right. God, would you help us where there's areas of our life or our selfishness in us at any time where we maybe um, hold tight grip on our time or our schedule or our resources and we don't give them freely, we don't sacrifice where we don't self-deny. God, we need your help so that others may experience good. They may not have hindrance for uh, we want them to see Christ. We want them to hear Christ, confess him as beautiful Lord and Savior of their lives as he is for us. So we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.